Welcome to a new episode of the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. The new the voice new of voice success. success. We all want to feel successful and fulfilled in our lives, but that can be a bumpy road. Through the experiences, journeys and advice of our guests here on Big Idea Big Moves, we will help you get a jump start on experiencing and cultivating whole life success. Be ready to take notes. Every episode has action items that you can apply to your own life right away. Okay, let's get this started. I will now pass you over to the host of Big Idea Big Moves, Jamie Allison. Hi again, everybody. I'm Jamie Allison, and this is the Big Idea Big Moves podcast. This is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different genres, different uh, um, groups of uh, different types of expertise, just to find out little bits about what they're doing in their lives or in their businesses, um, and to find those things that we can translate into our own lives. So we talk to CEOs, we talk to entrepreneurs, we talk to athletes, um, scientists, just people doing really cool things in their space. And I know we have one of those today, really excited about um, having having the conversation we're going to have today. Just before we jump into that, um, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that one of our um, key supporters is uh, Epitome Sportswear. And the important part about what they do is, is they're like us and they they really look at, um, well, their, their motto is live life fully. So it's trying to make sure that it's not just high performance stuff. You'll find there things that uh, work well for when you just go for a walk, um, you know, maybe a hike in the evening, but it might also be going to your child's uh, baseball or soccer game in the summertime. So just um, make sure that you look at that. The other thing that's really important to us and to them is that they give back to the communities that they serve as well. So they're working to impact the inequities in opportunity for girls and women in sport. And for that reason, portion of their profits go directly to organizations and initiatives that support girls in sport. Um, so you can uh, go into our Instagram bio. I know there's a discount code in there if you want to take a look at it, um, or you can go directly to them. It's Epitome Sportswear. E-P-I-T-O-M-E sportswear.com. And so today, um, I'm really excited about having our our guest today. Um, Maria uh, Colacurcio is uh, the um, CEO of Cindio, and that's a a company dedicated to eradicating pay disparities in the workplace. And they use a a special kind of workplace equity analytics platform, which I think we'll talk a little bit about. She's very passionate about the issues surrounding equal pay, employee wellness, and equity at work. Um, She's a recognized thought leader. You'll see lots of other things where she's out there as well and is a frequent speaker and uh, um, author for various organizations, publications, conferences. But she's also a mom of seven children um, and works to build health and wellness uh, into her family life as well. So she recently came first overall in uh, the LA High Rocks Open and also set a world record for her age group in the world's um, you know event as well. So, so a really cool, eclectic background, Maria. But uh, you know, first of all, uh, thank you for taking the time obviously a really busy uh life for you but um you know again thanks and we like uh, having you on the show yeah of course thank you so much for having me and i do have to explain so <laughs> steph curry is one of the one of our investors he invested in cindio he's been a huge advocate for pay equity way back since 2018 when he wrote an article um in the athletes journal around why he was passionate about this after having i think his second daughter so of course you know they're in the finals and we've got to support anyone that's that much of an accomplice alongside us fighting for for equal pay 
Absolutely. I, I, and, and it is important to, to note that, you know, your, your organization has really started to garner some, um, um, some, some real buzz around it. And, and, you know, people like Steph Curry, you know, investing in it because it's, it's such an important issue right now. Um, so maybe, uh, you know, maybe we can kind of jump right in to um, uh, maybe I'll ask about your journey first, and then we'll talk a little bit about Cindio, but maybe we can talk about, because to be a CEO, you don't just suddenly pop into being a Cindio of a, a, a Cindio's, um, you know, CEO. Um, tell us a little bit about your path to get there and, and then we'll go from there. Sure. So I think I, I hadn't heard this quote until recently. It's a Tim Cook quote. And he said, you get lucky when preparation meets opportunity. And I think when I did hear it, it struck me as being so relevant to my journey and sort of how I've navigated my career. My career has had tons of fits and starts. It's taken a very odd path. It hasn't been chronologically linear in any sense of the word. And I think that's really common, more common now than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. And particularly, I think for women and for people who are caregivers, I have seven kids. There was a time when I took the off ramp and I stayed home when my five kids were really small. And then I took the on-ramp back into the corporate world. So I've always been very involved in tech. I've done a lot of startups. I worked at Microsoft. I co-founded a company called Smartsheet that ultimately went public and then decided to take um, an off-ramp from tech. And I spent four years at Starbucks at the, at the headquarters. It's an iconic company, particularly being from the Seattle area. Yeah. And I worked in communications and just learned so much about specifically pay equity. We were one of the first companies, very progressive, to proactively announce our cents on the dollar. And it was a really big deal at the time. You're starting to see more and more companies do that now because there's pressure coming from employees, activists, uh, activist shareholders, institutional investors, you know, all across the board, there's pressure. But, but back then it was pretty progressive. And in learning about what pay equity is, what the motherhood penalty is, what the pay gap in the glacial pace we're making against closing the pay gap, I think I became very passionate about figuring out how to solve the problem. So when the CEO opportunity of Cindio came across my desk, my proverbial desk, it just was this really cool intersection of my experience in software as a service. Smartsheet was a SaaS company. I had worked at several startups before that that also were and this purpose-driven nature of doing something, going to work every day and solving a problem that really mattered to me and a problem that I had experienced firsthand. So very non-linear path, but I think a path that's getting more and more common, which I think is a great thing. Yeah. And, uh, tell us a little bit about how it works, because I think a lot of people would think, okay, it's a, a technology-based solution. How is that? How, how does that impact pay equity in, an, if, in a normal organization, if you're just a worker there thinking, oh, well, how, how can this technology help me? Um, you know, explain a little bit about how it works. Yeah, of course. So for three years, our bread and butter was really pay equity analysis. So the typical way a company does that in the old world is they outsource to a law firm and a law firm comes in and does a once a year audit. It's cumbersome, it's costly. And most importantly, the team learns nothing about why they have the issues to begin with. So they get this big report from the law firm that says, here are your people who are underpaid because of something like gender, race, or ethnicity. And here's how much you need to pay them to get back to parity. And then you fast forward a year to your next audit and you have all the same problems because you haven't looked at root cause or figure out how to fix anything. And so that's where our technology comes in. Number one, it is 
it is something that companies can do way more than once a year. They can look at this every month. They can look at it as they hire. They can make sure that starting pay, which is the biggest factor in any pay equity analysis, is set appropriately, both to meet the market rates, but also looking at equitable pay. So for example, if I'm hiring a new software engineer and that software engineer has eight years of experience, they've got their PhD and they know a certain set of tools that matter to my company, whether it's Java or Go or Kubernetes or whatever. And if I just look at what's market rate for that new engineer, I am going to, particularly in today's labor market, be chasing this exorbitant increase of market pay. And what that will do is my existing engineers who have those same qualifications will be left behind. And if I'm disproportionately hiring white men, for example, in the new engineering roles, I'm creating a big problem for myself as a company in terms of of pay inequity. So what our software allows you to do is not only do all of the regressions that a law firm would do, figure out to the penny how much to pay people, but we also show you what is that equitable range in addition to market range in terms of new hires? Where can you set that pay so that you can prevent new problems from popping up? And then what are the policies or behaviors that your company is engaging in that are potentially problematic? So why do you pay what you pay? If you say you pay based on education, but in many departments, men with with master's degrees are consistently making more than women with master's, you have a policy issue that needs to be fixed. So we identify that for you as well. It's it's interesting. I mean, we talked just before we came on here about um, that whole problem where it's, it's a very reactive almost approach that happens in most organizations where it is just do what we have to do to meet, um, I I guess, check the box that I've been able to do this and we've run it to make sure that we're covered rather than really kind of looking at, um, you know, what are some of the things systemically and and all of those things. Um, Right now, there's there's been a lot of change in the workplace the last, you know, two to three years because of the pandemic, because of all of those things and people coming back in a different way. Have you seen any changes and has that that impacted, uh, you know, equity from what you've seen in a positive or negative way in, in most cases? We've lost a lot of ground in progress. So we were making incremental progress against the pay gap. It was still glacial pace. I mean, it was slow, but we were making progress. And then when COVID hit and women and people of color, women of color specifically disproportionately dropped out of the workforce, we started to backslide. And I think there's a lot of questions now about how do we catch up? And one of the ways we catch up and solve this problem on the pay equity side, it's easy. It's remediation. It's dollars. When you apply dollars and you use technology to figure out to the penny what to pay people and how to fix that root cause, you can solve it. I'm actually really hopeful and excited as our technology gains steam. We have 220 customers now. We've got 20% of Fortune's most admired list. So as that starts to gain steam, I think we can solve the problem. The other piece of this that's really tricky because it takes a lot longer to solve is another area where we've rolled out an analytics product is the median pay gap. So when you think about the pay gap, it's not about pay at all. It's actually about opportunity. So the pay gap reflects an average difference. So think about if all of your entry-level employees are people of color and all your executives are white, you're going to have a massive pay gap that reflects the fact that you haven't given opportunities yet for people to move their way up in the organization. And so how do you fix that? That's about using analytics to figure out how you retain and hire. You've got to have both 
your way to those representation goals. And that takes time. That's not something like pay equity where you can solve it by paying people what they deserve. Right. You've got to also look at how are you offering up opportunities for promotion, opportunities for promotable work, movement, all of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I know that you've talked about in other things where like these are conversations that happen both in the workplace, but also at at home. And and some of those things is, I mean, you have, you have uh, um, children who do you, do you talk about these things with your, with your children? Do you talk about kind of those other pieces so that, um, you know, I I guess that'd be the one thing is there's the change that's immediate. And then the change over time, because we're making these more of an issue outside of that is, is that something that you do yourself? All the time. And I think one of the interesting things for parents is to look at systemically, how are you approaching household work with your children if you have children of different genders? So I have two sons, I have five daughters. And one thing that I had to look at myself in the mirror and be really honest with myself about was how was I divvying out chores? And were my daughters doing more work around the house than my sons? And that's something that we talked about a lot at the dinner table. We sit down and we have dinner together, even if it's only 15 minutes. I mean, you can't keep them all there that long, specifically the four-year-old, you know, is off (laughs) or, you know, somebody has an activity they need to go to, but that 15 minutes, you can use that as a way to have conversations. And when we started talking about, as an example, chores, one of my daughters went and did a survey of her classmates because they were in the middle of having to think about a project for school. And she surveyed her classmates, I think she was in sixth grade at the time, on did they do chores? How much time did they spend doing chores? Did they get paid? And how much did they get paid? Mm -hmm. And what she found was that on average, boys and girls got paid about the same amount per week, but the girls spent twice as much time actually doing the work than the boys, which lends itself to parents are basically saying, okay, do this set of things and I'll pay you a weekly allowance. And the boys either don't get half of it done and are not held accountable or the girls just do it um, or do extra. And it was really eye-opening because here's a kid going out and doing this survey and then coming back to the table and saying, here's what I found. Does that apply in our family? Why is this happening? Why would kids have such different attitudes? And it really does give you the chance to have deeper conversations about where this all comes from and how we can combat it in our daily lives. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. And you do wonder how much of that bleeds into the workplace um, at the, you know, as they get older or, or is there right now for, for us that are actually in it. That's uh, interesting stuff. If, you know, you also, I know have conversation you know, you're a, um, you obviously like athletics and, you know, and wellness and all of those things. One thing that we really talk about is how do you, how do you combine some of that stuff? Um, you know, you're, you're a CEO, which is not a non-busy job. So that's a busy job. And you've got all of these other things. How do you start to, um, you know, integrate that so that you can, you can have a family life and you can have a wellness life and you can also do really well in your career. How, How do you manage that yourself? I think it's, you know, people assume they always ask me, how do you have the time and, and one thing that I find myself saying a lot is I don't, I don't have the time, but I have focus. And I think when you bring focus, it becomes more valuable than time because you're thinking about how every single minute is geared toward your objectives. And I have some pretty basic objectives in my life. My number one objective is that 
I'm present with my family and that they know that I'm here and love them and that we have good relationships with one another. And so if you apply focus to that, it takes a different shape than what you would think. So now that we're all working remotely, one thing that I carved out and figured out was that if I make myself available in those 45 minutes when my kids are coming home from school and I'm just at the counter, phone off, present, I can get more done in quotes in terms of relationship building than if I spend two hours with them after dinner before bed. They're just not in the mood to talk. They're not in the right moment where they want to have those conversations that really actually progress the depth of your relationship. But when they come in the door, they're like ready to have a snack. They want to be present. They're bursting with sort of news about their day. So it's all about that focused time. And it sounds so cliche, but that quality over quantity, it's the same thing with training. I get up very early. That's kind of my hack. I get up at 445. I spend an hour working and then I've got a bunch of equipment in my garage and I get my workout done and I always get it done in the morning. And it's very focused. It's very focused because I know I don't have more time later to sort of finish it or, or do something if I miss it. It's always got to be in those early morning hours. And obviously, um, you know, we talked about the front end that you've done high rocks. So for those people that, you know, that's a, it, it's, it's pretty intense, the, the kind of what you do during that. Um, maybe first of all, since you went to high rocks world, which is pretty cool. Um, what was that experience like? And, and um, you know, I guess discovering that because it's a relatively new, um, you know, type of sport, even though the, the things in it aren't. Um, you know, what was it like, I guess, first of all, doing that? And, and how did you go about finding it and find that that's something you wanted to do? Yeah, so my fitness hack in terms of how I maintain and exceed a level of fitness that really I have no business being at is really <laughs> yeah. through my husband. So my husband is a trainer. He owns actually a small boutique gym in downtown Seattle, yeah. and he creates all the programming for that gym. He's been doing this for years and years. So he was the one that discovered High Rocks and said, you know, my gym is actually set up perfectly for this event. I've got the skiers, I've got the turf, I've got the sleds, I've got all the stuff. He said, we should go try this out and see if it's something we want to bring to the gym and get a bunch of members interested in participating in. And so within five weeks, we really only trained for five weeks because he discovered it five weeks before LA, which was the last event of the season. And again, we had, we had never heard of it before, yeah. um, before that time. So we kind of switched up our training. We tried a bunch of different stuff and, and went out and did LA and it was an incredible community. I would say the thing that was probably, probably had the most impact on me. Number one was my entire family went. So I had all seven kids there and just like the energy of them cheering for me after so many years of competitive cheer and soccer and swim team. And, you know, yep. we're always there <laughs> cheering for them. And they actually had such a cool reverse experience saying, you know, one of my daughters who does competitive cheer, she's like, is, is that how you feel when we compete? Like, I was so nervous. I wanted, you know, that one girl was getting close and I wanted you to win. And there's just this like cool family bonding. And I think, I think that's what Hyrox has done really well is talk about like diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Let's apply that to an athletic competition. Normally those things are really intimidating. And I think what Hyrox does is they focus on community and they really do focus on people who are fit and want to push themselves in a competitive environment, but might not be, you know, a CrossFit athlete or like a yeah. marathon runner. They might be moms with kids who want to get out there and show their kids that they're competitive too. And, and I just, 
I, I love that. I love that it's so inclusive of all levels. And I think that's what makes it really special. Yeah. And, and you did very well. I mean, you, you kind of neglected to, to say that, you know, you've, you've excelled at it already. How, how, is, how did that feel, I guess, you know, knowing that you've kind of went in and, and placed incredibly well so far? I think it was really fun because my whole family was there. And yeah. so to be able to take first and then know they're all posting it on their, you know, yeah. TikTok, <laughs> my teenagers, and, and also knowing that you know, at 45, you can still compete really well in a sea of folks that are much younger. I think that's also what High Rocks does really well is they sort of level the playing field that if you really work at it, you can do well despite your age. Um, and that's that's pretty different from a lot of other fitness competitions. So it was really fun for me to kind of have that moment with my husband and my kids there and being able to not only do well in my age group, but also just kind of across women in general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and anybody who has, um, well, we've interviewed a few people on the show who have been kind of big parts of that so far. And uh, I think actually you, you would know that we um, interviewed Lauren Weeks just recently and uh, it was after, and just um, what she did there was unbelievable to do that. And uh, she is, was quite pregnant when she was at Worlds and still placed ninth, which is pretty, she pretty is, incredible. I mean, she is so inspiring. And I, I love her, the way she approaches how she talks about what she's doing, because she's very clear and transparent that maybe most women who are eight months pregnant would not yep. be able to compete at that level. But you know what? Maybe some can. And yeah. you shouldn't hold yourself back because all of the research that's coming out now around pregnancy is that athletic endeavors while you're pregnant, you know, I've been pregnant six times. I had twins um, once, so I got a freebie, yeah. but <laughs> athletic endeavors while you're pregnant are actually exceedingly good, not only for you and the child that you're growing, but also for your mental health and for reducing the chance that you will have postpartum afterward because postpartum is just so debilitating and so difficult for women. And one thing that I'm loving is that we're talking about it more and we're giving those women a lifeline. But Lauren Weeks, like what an inspiring person because number one, she's doing it. Number yeah. two, she's so honest about like, this works for me, it might not work for you and that's okay. But I think again, that's a testament to the organization and how they're really trying to show athletes come in all shapes and sizes. Athletes are not just your 25 year olds. They are not just your men. They're not just your women. They, they come in all shapes and sizes. And I think that's, that's really cool and inspiring. Where does that approach come from for you? Because obviously, you know, you've, you've probably had people that you've looked up to or how's, um, you know, where, where do you think that outlook comes from for you, uh, you know, now at, at this stage, but even kind of earlier, cause you've obviously been very kind of, you know, um, focused on, on having a whole life during that time period. Uh, was there somebody that was kind of a big influencer for you? Yeah, I think, I think in terms of this stuff, a big influence for me and how I developed like this sense of resiliency and I'm just going to get out. And when the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to show up prepared and I'm just going to get after it. Even if yeah. I have no business being there, I think it's really, I have a big sister and my big sister is one of, she's one of these people where anything she touches turns to absolute gold. Like she just, and I was two years behind her in school and was just always trying to catch up. So yeah. I kind of got into this moment where I learned that 
if, if you don't let anyone outwork you, like if you really put in again, that preparation, I think anyone that knows me will say preparation is my superpower because I know that if it meets that opportunity, you're going to, you're going to do something really special. But I learned that from her because just trying to keep up with her, uh, particularly in athletics, it just, it was something that, you know, I remember asking my dad to put a floodlight up over our basketball hoop so that I could practice like well into when it got dark. And she just thought I was absolutely nuts, but that's what I had to put in the work in order to even have a chance of, of, um, keeping up with her, which I never really could do anyway, but I think that's where, but it, it, you know, a lot of people I talk to that, um, you know, go into higher level roles in business and, you know, entrepreneurs and things like that. That's often the case because that translates, whether it's in one part of your life or in another, it's often gives you that extra, resiliency or, or push as well. So um, you did mention that planning is a big thing for you. Um, do you, are you a, are you the kind of goal setter that writes everything down and you know exactly what it is that you expect to do? Is that the type of planning that you do or do you kind of just go with kind of what comes up, um, you know, along the way? I think personally and professionally, I'm very operationally rigorous. So <laughs> yeah, I write things down. I think that type of accountability is really good for both companies and in your personal life. If you're managing as many people, you know, we have a household of nine. Yeah. So <laughs> we have a lot of moving parts. And you probably the, have a pretty big calendar that happens at some oh, point yeah. right, for There's, your family if you have that many people. It has to be like, we have to have the handwritten, the all sides of the calendar. <laughs> So I, I think I think the other side of this, though, on a more sober note, is you also have to understand like the privilege that we're in just to be able to think from a planning perspective, because I have opportunities because I'm a white woman that other people just won't get. I mean, I got hired into the CEO role at Cindio, never having been a CEO before. Sure, I co-founded a startup that did very well. And I had had a lot of experience in startups at that same stage, but I'd never been a CEO before. And I was hired in by two white men who were very much, I would call them accomplices, not allies, because to me, ally is a very passive word and accomplice means you're like in it. You're like in the ring together. But even still, that's that's a privilege that other folks who who come from different backgrounds just aren't seeing that opportunity. And so I think for me, I will never forget that I was given some of the opportunities I was given and why I was given those opportunities. And a lot of times it's because I look or don't look a certain way. And so really making sure that I'm doing everything I can with our software and our company to give those opportunities equitably to others, I think is a big part of when you talk about planning, just like I always bring myself back to that core, that focus, that part of our mission. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that can be, a, it can be challenging for people, but probably even people who've been hearing this think, you know, this is something that I really would like to bring forward as a leader in my organization or bring forward as maybe just somebody who wants to, um, who really sees the opportunity that, um, you know, a, a platform like yours, or at least the conversation um, needs to come forward. Um, we always ask for a couple of actionable things, but maybe I'll ask, you know, that is, um, do you have a couple of tips to somebody who wants to bring that forward in a way that, um, you know, will really kind of um, push things a little bit in an organization and maybe bring the conversation forward? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that, that people can do that leaders can do. And the first one is really understanding as a leader and as a company, why do you pay what you pay? 
you should know the answer to that question and your people yeah. manager should be able to answer that question. It's very reasonable for employees to want to know, what do I make? What's the range? Where am I in the range? And why am I paid what I'm paid? And what's it going to take to get to the next level? Those are like the core things that you should be willing to share with your people. Yeah. And the way this is going, not only with pay transparency legislation accelerating, so New York City California, Oregon, there's a bill on the table in Washington state that would require companies over hundred to post salary ranges of open roles. That's going to require that you as a company, you as a leader are taking control of your narrative around why you pay what you pay. And nature abhors a vacuum. So if you leave this void in terms of why you pay what you pay, your employees are gonna fill it. And oftentimes they'll fill it with information that's not accurate. They will make presumptions. They will create a Google spreadsheet and share their salaries. And they won't know why one person's paid more than the other. They'll just assume. And so one thing that we're really coaching and guiding our customers to do right now is to get proactive around, there's this, there's this tidal wave of pay transparency coming at companies. And it's coming from employees are asking for it, demanding it. Institutional investors are pushing it through ESG. You've got the activist investors coming through shareholder proposals. Just dive into it. Dive into it while it still can serve you as a way to build trust with your people because you're doing it proactively and not under duress because it's something you have to do. Wow, that's uh, that's great. And, um, you know, I, I think it's definitely a conversation that's starting to happen often, but um, it, it's it needs to be out there more than it is and, and probably in a much broader way rather than it just being more about the just the HR people talking about it. It's how do we make sure that that's a conversation across the board. So, um, so uh, fantastic that we have that. If somebody wants to be able to you know, follow um, your organization, follow what, what you're doing, because there's lots of things that you're kind of talking about as well. What are some of the best ways to do that, Maria? Yeah, so I think one person I would highly recommend 10 out of 10 you follow on LinkedIn, her name's Christine Hendrickson, and she is our VP of Strategic Initiatives, but formerly she was the preeminent pay equity expert at Cypress Shaw, a, a law firm. Her LinkedIn posts are gold. I mean, you can learn so much about legislation, about what's happening around ESG just by following her on LinkedIn. So that's one plug I would give for Christine. And then if you're interested in learning more about analytics and our platform, we're just at synd.io. So S-Y-N-D.io. All right. And we'll put both of those in our show notes as well so that people can get the link to go through to those if you missed it. But, um, um, you know, and if you haven't hit uh, subscribe on the podcast, do that right now. We have great people every week, just like Maria. Um, you know, I, again, I know uh, I know things are busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck to your team, obviously, as well. That's uh, that's always got to be out there uh, as well. But, um, you know, again, thanks for taking the time with us, Maria. Your uh, Your stuff has been great today. Of course. Thank you so much. All right. And we will talk to everybody else again on uh, Big Idea, Big Moves. Thanks for listening to the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast. Be sure to drop us a comment on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Big Idea underscore Big Moves. We love to hear your feedback. Till next time, remember, big change comes from small, consistent actions.